another episode of our podcast, Reimagining Customer Experiences in Financial Services. I'm your host, Mario Kiriakou, co-founder of RatioFS, a marketing data and customer experience consultancy. This is the show where we look to analyze how FS brands can leverage digital to deliver experiences built to solve your customers' day-to-day challenges. On today's episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Giles Cross, as we discuss the importance that brand plays in helping FS businesses to differentiate their digital offering and its role in helping to build a strong bond with their customers. Giles is a financial services professional with 30 years experience in business leadership, corporate strategy, and marketing across a wide range of financial institutions, including helping sectors as diverse as private banking, retail advice, assets and wealth management to create and develop marketable businesses. Giles has held numerous senior roles at the likes of Sanlam, English Mutual and CMO and later CEO at peer-to-peer lending platform Folk to Folk. During our interview, we explore why banks are in danger of commoditizing their services by being drawn into competing on digital features and why having the right brand promise which your customers can buy into will help defend traditional legacy institutions from the rise of fintechs. An interesting episode and one I really hope you enjoy. Well, thank you very much for joining me on today's episode, Giles. I've been looking forward to our chat for a while now. Thank you. I suppose there's a quick recap on the purpose of the podcast. It's pretty simple, really. It's to explore what goes into good customer experience in financial services. And as part of that exploration, obviously, an enormous part of what we, I suppose, explore in each episode is, is, is digital. But we end up talking on each episode around you know, technology, agile, transformation, ways of working. And one of the things that we haven't really touched on, it kind of skirted around the edges, is, 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 is brand and what relationship brand plays um, in the customer experience. And increasingly, as most financial services experiences are increasingly digitized, um, you know, what does that brand mean in terms of digital channels? And it's not something we've explored um, in, in, in great detail. So which is why I've been really looking forward to well, our conversation today, really, to explore the you know, relationship of brands and and. You know, what goes into a good brand, but also obviously negativity around brands. Just trying to just tease out what what makes some an individual consumer buy into a business, and how does that get translated across um, you know the new medium of you know digitizing services and you know digital experiences generally. All right, well let's start off with a well I, I say a simple question, but it's probably going to lead on to a pretty larger conversation. Is is from your perspective and your experience. How I mean, how do you see what I mean? What is the importance of a brand to a financial services institution, whether a bank or insurer, or just you know generally FS? I, I think it's not a simple question, but it, it's a great question, uh, actually, and it does lead us into so many different areas. I, th- I think if we start really with that definition of what is a brand, people confuse it with branding the idea of what something looks like it's logo it's for font it uses all of those sorts of things brand is it goes far much deeper than that we are brands you are a brand i am a brand all organizations whether they like it or not whether they're recognized or not are brands and if, if we take a definition of what a brand what brand is about i think you can split it into two things it's expectation what you expect of that organization 
what what it what it stands for i guess then leads from from that into association what you associate it with now with the organizations that we choose as brands they invariably reflect either our beliefs and what we stand for as individuals or how we want to be perceived either in our own perception or amongst our peer groups and friends so that therefore if you if you take an organization that is is well regarded where you expect customer service to be good where you expect to be the center of their attention where you expect to be valued that's really important and then if you want to associate it with good things with good practice with good outcomes with good behavior with good relationships with the legal framework with a regulatory risk framework with the planet around it brand becomes very important expectation and association so now if you if you look at that from the financial services perspective one of the things that all providers all institutions and all companies have to deal with is that a result of uh, for, for various reasons over the last 20 30 40 years financial services has become a brand in itself and one that in the eyes of many consumers is quite toxic is that however much people talk about customer centricity we don't quite buy it we expect to be the at the end of the food chain when it comes to being treated properly irrespective of protestations about customer centricity we don't necessarily expect to be treated particularly well we associate it with either failure or bad practice or greed and therefore however uh, if, a, if a company wants to attract market share it has to be and become a best loved brand before it seeks to to even romance a single customer it has to deal with that level of toxicity it has to counter the brand that is financial services in my mind so to me in financial services especially having a great brand one that represents the customer where there is great expectations and strong association on a positive sense is very important and it's interesting it feels I mean, you know, my, personally, my passion is around um, digital digitization and the role of digital and customer experiences. And, and perhaps that creates, you know, an element of bias in my perspective, whereas I equate a great customer experience with um, delivering, the great, delivering the great brand. But actually, based on our conversations recently, I think actually that's, I'm probably doing it a complete disservice because when I'm thinking about a great customer experience, that's not necessarily teasing out what that specific brand, and I'm thinking, say, banks in particular, what a brand, a bank's brand means to that consumer. And Lloyd's and HSBC mean different things in the minds of consumers. And thinking back to my relationships with banks over the years, I think my notion of what a bank's brand is, is probably, I don't know, perhaps broken down. Um, I, like most people, joined my bank uh, in school someone came along you know bribed me with a rucksack and a bunch of stickers and you know I joined the Midland and I've been with them since you know became HSBC and I remember they were I think that the branding was around being the local bank and the listening bank before mm -hmm. that before NatWest decided to become the listening bank but I think <laughs> see that, that kind of resonates you know have a brand around a listening bank if you're a consumer or a business customer the idea that your banker will trying to understand your unique problems and challenges and provide you advice support around that. And that kind of seems to have broken down as we've gone into, you know, I suppose, a digital service, local branches have closed down. 
And I suppose my question to you is, do you feel that idea of a bank's brand has disappeared? Because if you look at the challenger brands, they feel like very much closer um, in terms of defining what that brand is, whether you're a Monza or a Starlin. You know, you, I feel like I understand what they're about uh, and you know, my relationship then is built on that sort of relationship. Whereas with traditional banking, it kind of, I don't know, it kind of feels I, something's been lost along the way. I, do you know, I, I, there's something that actually s- struck me yesterday when I went into my local branch, but I'll, I'll come back into that. I, I think if we look at our customer journeys of, of how we to- how we we chose our banks then as to how we choose our banks now, that, that there's a huge difference. I mean, I started my career at Seahor & Co., the private bankers, the first, the, the first UK bank, still in family hands, which is less of a financial institution, albeit a, a very good, strong financial situation, but it's also a membership club. It's a private members club. They provide banking services to family and friends and friends and friends. And, and that goes back in a pan-generational basis to where membership and having an account is a source of great pride it's a status symbol i mean i i remember a time being substantially older than you when we we chose our banks but invariably because of where our parents banked i was going that west customer to begin with my parents banked in that west and we had our branch in the world in western superman where my father was born and all of this stuff and i could track that back and we were well known there and we had names and rather than account numbers and it was it was all very good and at a time when Lloyd's was the sign of the back course, and these were institutions that, that meant something that we took great pride in, that looked after us, and we felt that they were on our side. And then I think at some, at some point, something changed. And it, this, this is touched upon really well in a, in a great book. The, the, the name of the author escapes me, um, but, but look it up. It's called Firms of Endearment that talks about the fact that especially with the larger financial services institutions that something happened at a board level when the role of the ceo and the managing director came to to please shareholders rather than stakeholders and something in that 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 closeness that relationship with your bank and that point of pride where you sort of knew what they stood for was lost and I look, at, I look at a lot of advertising now with the larger financial institutions, the larger banks, and I see a lot of their advertising. It, 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 it's more about retention rather than attraction. You know, when I, when I was in Lloyd's yesterday, who I've banked with many years, uh, they, they've started using the sign of the black horse again, and it was about being a customer across the generations, which is, again is a retention piece. It's about retaining my family as much as me. But I felt slightly misty-eyed because I recognised the horses and I remembered the Black Beauty music and the adverts and all that sort of stuff. If, if you, if, It's now very difficult to identify within the larger mainstream banks as to what they actually stand for. What do I associate them with that isn't toxic? What do I expect from them that isn't just what I would normally expect as banking services from a hygiene factor. How do they represent me in my choices? What, do, what, what is it about them that I like? And I find that increasingly difficult to identify. But if I look at the challenger banks, and there are challenger banks in all elements, I think, of the retail cycle. So right up at the, the higher end in terms of the private space and right out you know, for new entrants, it's invariably easy to identify what they're trying to do and the journey that they're on. And they're, 
they're doing everything right from a marketing perspective. They're making it very clear in what they intend to do and where they're going. And because I know where they're going, it's easy for them to say, come with me. And I can then make that brand choice to give them my business because I want to get on that journey. I'm, it might be whether it's part of disruption to give it to the man to destroy the hegemony of the large high street banks. It might be in protest to the closure of, of the high street offering. Who knows what the reason is? But I, I think within the challenger space, so many of the of, of the new entrants are giving a very clear customer promise and allowing people to engage with it. But of course, their challenge will be to keep that promise. That's the challenge to all of us in financial services is to keep that customer promise that we will look after your money. Because that's the, pro the promise the industry gives, isn't it? It's responsible for our money. It must be successful, therefore. It must look after us. It, it, it must be responsible. And unfortunately, into the last 20, 30 years, maybe it hasn't been able to do that. And so yeah. that, that, there's that break. That, the, the brand of financial services itself, in many ways, can overshadow the brand of an organisation. And I suppose in one sense, the challenger brands have an advantage because they're building everything from the ground up. They can also build a brand for a new age and they don't have, and they're not thinking about, you know, legacy issues in terms of, you know, infrastructure and core banking systems. I'm thinking more. Or width, so that yeah. where you lose control of that brand sanctity. Exactly. Like, you know, legacy businesses uh, have to manage the decline of, um, branches they have to manage they've had to manage the decline of that many decades from our relationship being tied to a bank via you know its local branch and the local bank manager and all business conducted you know in person to you know being all that taken back into back office systems centralized you know kind of depersonalized and you know into a new digital age and obviously legacy businesses have a hell of a lot more products and services which they're trying to administer than challenger brands. They had the advantage of, I suppose, if you look at the likes of Monzo, you know, focusing initially on um, current accounts, whereas, you know, if you're a Lloyd, um, it could be selling your mortgages, current accounts, business accounts, you know, there's a whole... And the first people I ring when my car breaks down. Yeah. They've lost the ability to be nimble. And also, you know, it's not necessarily banks. You look at a lot of insurance companies and financial services providers, they, they weren't established in a digital age. And therefore, the quality of the data that they hold for those for legacy business, for legacy customers, for old customers, it, it, is, it wasn't gathered at a time when it had value. And so there's a huge mop-up job. It, 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 it's not unusual to see very big financial institutions that have huge IT issues. And at the moment now, with, with so much marketing and messaging and service delivery being done digitally is that it's much easier for new entrants to to give that level of customer experience and customer experience is in many ways when you're looking for advocacy which enables us all to be the hero in the marketing or within the transfer of information or product to our friends and families it, it's it's very easy to transfer and communicate how nimble how easy something was to use how it reflected the way you like to do things how easily you achieved your higher purpose how stress-free it was how entertaining it was whereas you know, going back to entertainment, because all brands now are in the entertainment business, whether they like it or not. It's very difficult for those larger institutions to be nimble, to be entertaining, to engage, because because they weren't set up in that way. And then you see, if you look at so many of the the larger institutions are launching sub brands on, on, on 
different names and all this sort of stuff to try and capture and to try and compete. It's a really interesting space. But the, it goes back to brand. It's about who you really are to me. I think it's very difficult to say, we're brilliant, we look after your money, we're responsible. But And then to, when you then equate that to reality to travel around the world and see those institutions in court somewhere for defrauding their customers. That, that That's where the opportunity for the challenger banks have really come in with new brands is that they are the antithesis in so many ways of that. They're a new dawn for the, for the banking customer. Is it fair to say that um, banks, brands, they almost have to reinvent their brand for a digital way? Like you mentioned the tagline, you know, the listening bank, and that would be, that, that tagline has existed for many years and was built on uh, a way of conducting business that you know no longer you know is quite the same in terms of digital and you know and increasingly especially during the pandemic where for a large period we couldn't go into bank branches or i was walking around my local streets yes they big queues to get into branches that are open you don't want to just compete on digital by having the same features as your customer as your, say, your competitors but at the same time you don't want to just become a commodity service where your potential customers can't differentiate why they should bank with, you know, a Lloyd's versus a Santander. You want to have a reason for being different to attract someone new. So is there a case to make for these brands having to reinvent, you know, who they are for, you know, a new age and figuring out ways to then translate and communicate that differently? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. I mean, if we if we move from the subject of, of brand really to marketing, I mean, the, 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 to me, marketing has two elements: relevance and salience. Now, these digital tools, these things that we get on our mobile phones and all this sort of stuff, it's, it's all about remaining relevant. So you, you've got to be in the game, really. You've got to join the noise. There, you. Uh, to, I'll, I'll go off backtrack slightly. There, to me, there are three elements of successful marketing from really is if we look at relevance and salience as the core parts but you have three choices you can make a noise join the noise or become the noise with the latter being the nirvana place for where all marketers get to where everybody's talking about you and i think within the digital world making a noise you, you can do it for a period of time but sooner or later everybody's going to catch up so to, to sustain it and become the dfs sale of financial services where everybody's just talking about you all the time and you've got that that campaign is, is very difficult i think to a certain extent for in terms of the provision of service in the digital arena you have to join the noise you have to have a good app you've got to be able to provide those services in a way that's really really easily accessible for your customers and you as tsb found out in the, you know you can't have a blip the damn thing's got to work it's almost unforgivable now and in in terms of you know digitization versus the high street what one of the challenges i think for brands who who, who want to push out digital services to their customers is invariably they never ask their permission so i think organizations have always got to be aware of going too far and so you see this a lot with supermarkets where there are still lots of people who would rather talk to somebody to check out their goods and services rather than than use a machine because that's why they go there. They go there for human warmth. They go, they go there to see another person. And the, those organizations didn't ask their customers if it was all right to just digitize the process. So I think there are lots of challenges in going too far, but I think you're absolutely right. You sort of got to tick the box and play the game. That makes you relevant. If we're now looking for salience to become that noise where you can, you can become 
the organization that people think, actually, I want to be their customer. I'm thinking of them first now. When, when I think of banking, I want to be that their customer. I, I want to go to them or I want to stay with them. I think you've got an increasing challenge within the digital space of, they're not really banks, but advents like Apple Pay, is that I, as a result of COVID, you know, I was talking to, to another uh, some other people at the beginning of the year. My prediction was that the one thing that COVID was going to do was we, we weren't talking about the removal of cash from from society but but what we were going to see is the that cohort of people who were not digitally savvy within the financial services space that actually the, the diminishment of that of that cohort was was going to be massively accelerated by covid where those those people who had not yet adopted digital services were going to be forced into that space and i think those people who were keen to hang on to their branches and all of those things that that, that number is, is rapidly diminishing as a result of covid and we will i think we will never get back to a space where people won't think digitally first now in respect to banking services i think the problem for, for providers is not that they necessarily have to have an app or, or be accessible digitally is that the, their services now because of apple because of paypal because all of these things is that we don't necessarily think of their, their services are anything special that's just sort of there you know my money goes into an account I can see it on my phone. I don't actually have to see it through that account now. I can see it through somebody else's bank and show me all my other bank accounts. And actually, there's nothing special. There's nothing stand out from my bank in terms of the provision of services that makes me think, wow, that was a good choice. Which brings me back to the importance of brand is that now I have to think that the institution as a whole was a good choice for me because the services are now so, they've become hygiene factors. There's no key drivers in anything my bank is providing to me that makes me think, wow. You know, and you see this in some of the new challenger banks that are doing stuff that's quite interesting. But with the advent of open banking, all these new services being adopted by everybody, so you almost have a, a uniform service of provision of tech across the sector. You've got to go back to brand to get that other salience. Who do you stand for? And I think this is reflected elsewhere in, in the growth of ESG in the investment space, where people are increasingly keen to look under the bonnet, and not only in terms of the investment things they're invested in, but the companies they're invested with, because it's the only way to make a damn decision. It's interesting. I think that's, I think that's one of the, the problems with, with digital tech, is that there's so much tech out there and so much tech for tech's sake, but actually it's, it means that it's pretty all uniformly, uniformly used and administered. Yeah, I, I can't think of anyone who's rubbish now, and I can't think of anyone who's brilliant. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, technology for a while felt a lot of conversations were driven around by technology as in, you know, technology is going to solve all the problems. Technology is the cure to all problems. And it's up to a point, it's a load of rubbish, really. I mean, technology is a is. enabler, but it isn't the cure and isn't a way of differentiating your business because ultimately, you know, these businesses are investing in, say, you know, marketing technology stacks, but invariably they're, they're buying their MarTech stack from, you know, a couple of the same vendors. Yep. And these stacks have the same capabilities. And, you know, obviously the vendors are selling to multiple um, parties and you all have the same possibilities for leveraging these tech stacks to deliver, you know, the same thing. And again, that doesn't necessarily, you know, as an individual, what you were saying about, I thought that was really important, you know, what is it? that's going to make me go out and go, I want to be a customer of this business and then tell my friends and family about it. Yeah. And that's, you think about the products and services that we love and we talk about, no one's going to sit around 
people never used to talk about vacuum cleaners and until you know Dyson came along mm-hmm. with it. And actually, weirdly enough, Dyson was interested enough that actually you would talk about it. And Interestingly, do you see Dyson for me is a really interesting brand to, to sort of look at as one to emulate for financial services. I mean, obviously there are, there are problems associated with that brand now. Because if you look at how I'm looking at, you know, what my bank does for me and other apps that I use for my children's savings and all this sort of stuff is that, you know, brilliant. If I'm at Lloyd's, I get a discount to pizza purveyor somewhere and all this sort of stuff. So you're you're having to get me to get me to be a customer, not because you're brilliant, but because I can get cheap pizza, which obviously everybody likes. It's almost, to to me, it's, it's, it's almost become a racket. Five years ago, I remember people saying, and it was all really very exciting, we wondered which way the world was going to go, that it, in five years ago we said, in five years' time, if you're not a tech business, you won't be a business. But now we're all tech businesses, and everybody's struggling for salience. Because it's, it's just, the, the status quo has just evolved into the same place, but with a different provision of services. We now just buy our, we, we, to me, we, still, we, we buy our services in a different way, but actually the same old rules apply. You've got to be a great business. You've got to be a decent business. You've got to treat your customers properly. You have to give them absolute primacy in your relationships because they're not mugs. They seem to rather than later that they're just a conduit to making other people rich. And that this is where I was going to go is uh, there's, there's another brilliant book out there. The internet is not the answer. And it, it's quite challenging in many ways into the belief systems that so many people working within organizations and technology have is that if you look at what technology and for instance the internet was going to do for us it was going to democratize education it hasn't really it's actually made education harder because we now live in a post-truth society as a result it was going to make everybody wealthier it hasn't it's actually polarized wealth into the hands of a, a few people it was going to improve the emancipation of women, I don't think it's done that when you look at the behaviour of people online and our treatment of women and and the same with racism and all those sorts of stuff. If anything, if you take the internet as, as a case in point, it, it's made the situation worse. And now with tech, because, uh, if you like, of the hegemony of certain providers and the way in which we do things, I think it's become harder for organisations to actually be visible because of technology, because we, we all look for our information in one place and we look to have our service provision in a, in a digital way, is how do you as a, as a brand actually build yourself so that you can rise above it all and become more than simply an app? How can you become an organization that people want to buy into? Because mm-hmm. I, I look at things with a couple of bank accounts across a couple of providers and there's, no, there's nothing different. I might as well just have one app that brings everything together and I just have some good services and it, I don't, and it might as well be faceless. I agree. I mean, I was trying to think, I mean, I always recommend to a brand like American Express, and I'm not sure what they would articulate is their brand values, but the reason why I always recommend... I was going to come back to Dyson, wasn't it? Talk to me about Dyson in a second. Sorry. I I always recommend American Express is is customer service. I always have, I always think the, the customer service that they offer their customers is great. It's easy. You can always pick up the phone. You can have a conversation. It's easy to solve problems. And I don't know if that's the brand that they articulate the customers, but when I'm talking, not, but you're right because they've got they got well, they got the basics right. Because yeah. I've also been an American Express customer, and you're you're absolutely right. I think they do what they do very well because you know all great marketing aside, got to be undeniably good below the surface. Yes, 
is it, it, I think what American Express is a great example because if you look at how many people there are in that charge card or credit card space, how, how do you, how do you differentiate between Barclay Card, One One Eight Money, MBNA? In fact, the only way that those companies dif- differentiate themselves is to create sub brands of their own brands to try and get more of the market in case people don't like them. Is that American Express to me was just genius. They became a means to which you could get the lifestyle to which you always aspire to. They 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 sort of managed to turn themselves instead of the purveyors of debt into come and see you two in the Bahamas, come and see Coldplay and stay at this fantastic hotel in Shanghai. Be part of that with American Express, and it became like wow, this is really cool. This isn't about debt. This is about living a brilliant life. And I, I think that's why people like American Express. And I, I, I watched that transition with interest and thought it was fantastic. Yeah. But if you, if you look at Dyson, you know, if you, if you look at the market they got into, we, ha- we, we had a Hoover, even if we didn't have a Hoover. It became the, it, the item itself became the brand new name for an industry, if you like. And if you look at what, what Dyson did, they, they, he didn't design a company or a product with the end user in mind. He didn't. He didn't think, oh, you know, what those people are looking for is a, a, a Hoover that sucks in a completely different way. He didn't think that's what we were all looking for. What what they created there was a business that they wanted to deliver into the market. So if you like inside out thinking, Apple did the same with the iPod. You know, nobody was asking for an iPod. They wanted to be able to run around without their CD jumping all over the place. And suddenly there was this thing that we we didn't even know how to use, but suddenly we had one and we could use it. And it was all amazing. This notion of inside out thinking, if you look at these really successful new entrants into the financial services space, they have designed their businesses to be the businesses that they wanted to deliver and have then found a way to market it to the customer. And the customers loved it because they've stood for something. They were something and they were visibly different they weren't part of that hegemony they weren't part of that racket where everybody seems to be queuing up for their opportunity to put their nose in the trough as the consumer perceives it and it, you know D- dyson is a salutary lesson for any new businesses get, get design that be the business that you want to be first and then win your customer win the market that way american express i think have done the same within the credit card space and they're undeniably good behind the scenes yeah i suppose i mean i think your point earlier about um you know fs businesses are going to be increasingly digital first and i think they are, and I, but I think a lot of that is not necessarily driven by wanting. Don't to you think that's up. a mistake? Digital first rather than customer first. But being yeah. customer first is too damn expensive, so nobody's going to make that commitment. Well, yeah, because I, my impression of being digital first—I mean, obviously, you know, delivering a great experience for the customers—I'm sure comes up in conversation time and time again. But being digital first to me, it, the I suppose the driver of it is money, really, because it's cheaper. Look at say acquiring, you know, onboarding a new current account customer. Uh, the cost of someone walking into a bank branch versus the cost of someone you know, ringing up a telephone line or then or you know signing up via an app, it's obviously much cheaper to acquire that customer via an app. So, just the imperative to be more profitable is going to drive a digital first approach because it's frankly more profitable to have that customer sign up via an app. And you know, end of the day, I know banks get treated as. Uh, a bit like you know uh, the post office and the Royal Mail that they are obliged to deliver um, you know, a service for for the, for the market. But at the end of the day, they're treated like that. But they're private businesses, so their imperative really is driven by shareholder value, which is you know driving more profits, which 
I have a, I have a pension a, schemes who are, or, you know, it, but it's an ecosystem, isn't it? I mean, it, we, we can moan about organisations and banks and say they could do it better, but they're all part of a, an ecosystem, as you've just said. Do you feel customers are delivering a fair, I mean, you know, customers of financial service institutions, do you think they are getting a fair service for the value they're creating for these big institutions? Never, never, ever. Never, ever. But I think that to a certain extent, before that, that everyone starts shouting and hating me, I, I think... What's the best way of putting it? Financial services is a, is a you, I'm not having a go at banks here, but you can actually have a look at it. And this is an organ, this is an industry that I love, I'm fascinated by, and my ambition is is always to build a best love brand in the space because I think the customer deserves one. I I I, I genuinely do, and I I hope that that is the aspiration of of all leaders within financial services. Is if you, if you actually look at it. I, I, I'll take your money and I'll do something with it and take a turn for, the, for to earn my money. And in, in a way, it doesn't matter if I do something well or badly. I still... I, st I still get paid. Um, and But you need me to pay for your bus fare to go and get a pint of milk, to get a car... To get a mobile phone contract, it's it's sort of we, we, the, the consumer's caught, and the, the, you know, I, I I talking to you, I think about you know, you could talk about strategy, you could talk about building a great brand, you can talk all about all these things. Is that what is the most? If I if I, I'd I'd love organisations to genuinely put their stakeholders, their customers, and their staff before their shareholders, but I, it'd be career suicide. Everyone's got to keep their job, yeah you know that's the other thing but we can't do without financial services it's a little bit of a, a, a close shop we can't do without our banks we can't do without our services so we sort of in many ways have to lump it is that the final shareholder the person who underwrites it in many ways who put their money in who supports it whether that be the british public or private shareholders or pension funds or whatever they're always probably going to get greater value than the customer. But then what is the customer getting? They're, get, they're getting an app. They're getting cards. It's a conduit to buying things. I, I, I think, you know, what, what, what service do I expect? I expect it to be good. I expect it to work. And I expect the institution to behave honorably, decently around the, in, in the country in which I live and work and around the world. I, I, I think... Does good service equate with great value? I don't know. I always think it always just looks kind of expensive, and I kind of look at the levels of profit that somebody's making on from the money of UK and global consumers, and it's very easy to say, well, that they look like everybody else is sort of riding my back here, and I think they are, but we're all sort of part of that because, you know, if you look at so many shareholders and our pension funds, again, it's an ecosystem. It's 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 a, it's, it's really difficult. My, my my immediate answer would be, no, I don't think the customer does great, great value, but actually society benefits. So do they potentially? <laughs> it's a really difficult one. I think we all want to be part of great brands and feel that we're, we're being treated well and we're great customers and we're valued. I think that's what we want from, from any service provider, whether it's automotive or our hairdresser. So uh, I would think that banks, banks, building societies, financial services as a whole could be better could do better by the consumer, could be loved more, and every effort should be made to deserve and win that love. And I think that's why I think 
challenger brands, the challenger banks have been great really for the industry over the last couple of years because they have forced institutions to start looking inwardly in terms of well, how can they be better really? They have this, they have this strong North Star, which isn't in their own ecosystem anymore, they can compare themselves with mm. day in, day out. And actually their own employees are comparing themselves, you know, and wanting to be more like these brands. I, you know, from my perspective, I always feel like you know, the likes of Starlin, Monzo have been great for the industry in terms of, of beginning to force through innovation and benchmarking against something which is within their space and they can see what you know good is i mean it's interesting what you say about you know shareholder value you know ethics all these type of things and it's all i suppose you could list it out on a piece of paper all the things that they should be doing but actually in in the execution that day is obviously incredibly hard because these are institutions where you're employing tens of thousands of people across different time zones and also let's be honest is that it's very easy because I'm not in the habit of bank bashing because, uh, you know, and, and, and really, if you to, to crystallize, I think what you've just said with, with, with my point here is it's very easy for me to say they should be like this. And for the new and for the new entrants and challenger banks to suddenly take banking in a different space. But they've been able because they're new and nimble to capture the zeitgeist, you, you know, with, with larger organizations who have been in, in, in play for decades hundreds of years in some cases you were built up and their infrastructure and their systems their attitudes were built at a different time when we maybe we didn't care so much when maybe service was different and the provision of service and customer expectation was very different in terms of ux and the moment we interacted with our bank or even went to the bank were very different and i think the one thing that gets challenger in, in new entrants challenges and new entrants have been able to, to do is, is capture our feeling and that's why maybe we 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 rush to them because they do make the the old style of doing things look cumbersome slow make it maybe that make them look at lack empathy make them seem less customer centric but they they would they they've been built at different times almost existing they exist in, in different sort of dimensions i think well, thank you. I think on that note, I think that's a, I think that's a perfect way to finish uh, today's interview, Giles. Um, <laughs> I've enjoyed today's chat. It's been really interesting to, I suppose, unpack this concept of brand and where it sits, you know, nowadays in a, in a, you know, in a well, incredibly digitized and increasingly digital first world. So I've enjoyed today's well, conversation. Uh, me too, and I think it's proven to me one thing that I've believed for a long time is that. Maybe there's so many things in the world have just got a little bit too big. And it's the, it's the new things that can really lead us forward and take us somewhere new. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to find out more about how the team at Ratio FS help financial services to reimagine digital experiences, then you can learn more at our website, ratiofs.com.